Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Here's your host, Stacy Jones. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacy Jones, and I'm so happy to be here with you all today. I want to give a very warm welcome to Amanda Rapidot. Amanda is the founder and CEO of Arch Collective, a company that takes up on a unique approach to handling the marketing strategy and execution for B2B tech startups. She has a passion for leveraging marketing strategy and sales to help businesses grow. And with 15 years of experience, she's worked for large enterprises and startups such as Microsoft, CoreLogic, CloudStaff, and New Relic. She's an expert in helping entrepreneurs expand their business and take it to the next level. Today, Amanda and I are going to be chatting about ways that business leaders can grow their companies faster through fractional CMOs and other freelancers, and how these individuals and your approach to working with them and leveraging them can really help you hit your marketing goals even faster. We're going to learn what works from Amanda's perspective, what should be avoided, and how some businesses just miss the mark with this. Amanda, welcome. So happy to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. So before we dive into, like, first of all, that word fractional, people are like, what the hell is fractional? How can we get everyone to understand better what got you to here today? You are a marketing expert. You have tremendous experience. You've worked at, you know, name brand companies along the way that even just further establish your expertise. Um, But what's your story of getting to here today? Sure. Well, I'll I'll start at the end of my last uh, full-time position for another employer. And I had been there for five years, was looking for my next opportunity. And being in San Francisco to look into the startup space is not uncommon. I actually started my career at a startup, um, an orthodontic startup, and, and loved that time and loved the impact that I made. So I was looking for CMO roles at other startups. And at one point I was interviewing with four different companies at the same time. They were all B2B tech. They were post series A funded. And as I was meeting with them, each of them had what basically seemed like the same exact problems, just, you know, nuances from their industry or, you know, peculiarities of the business. And so I thought, you know, it's too bad I can't help all of them at the same time. I'd be super efficient. Um, It'd be a great paycheck, right? And so then I thought, well, well, why not? And as I started to look into this type of business, I realized, wow, there's fractional CFOs. Those were more commonly known in the venture space, but not as many CMOs. And so I went down this path and have been doing it ever since. And so when you say a CMO for an organization, that brings up a lot of like, what is a CMO? What do they do? Oh, is she sitting there and creating social media posts, which is not exactly what CMO is <laughs> typically doing, right? Can you share what, you know, the roles are usually with a CMO at most, you know, larger businesses? Mm-hmm. And, and it's a great question that doesn't, of course, have a very straightforward answer because depending on the business, the role that the CMO takes on could, could vary quite a bit. Um, at some large organizations, the marketing organization actually has a P&L or a, their own business line where they're responsible for driving revenue. Now, that isn't necessarily the case at every single company, um, but you do see that at startups as well. If you've got an offering where everything is done digitally and there isn't a salesperson involved, why shouldn't marketing uh, own that revenue and, and the responsibility of driving that in? But, you know, to 
to sum it up what a CMO would do, it's really responsible for the outward facing experience that uh, an, an organization puts out there. So the brand story, the visuals of it, the messaging for it, how the uh, company is perceived and engages with media in the in the marketplace. And you know, there's there's so many different aspects of a business that touch on in, in some part the the marketing responsibility. And as the CMO, the way I look at my role is to make sure that that is a connected story that's consistent across all the different channels, across every employee, and across everything that people see. So that way, when they see or hear, um, you know, brand ABC, that what the way it looks, sounds and feels in one place is the same as another. So it's consistent and they really can understand what that company does. And when you're approaching this as a fractional CMO, you know, the first thing brands might be like is, oh, I want to hire someone and they're just about my brand. Mm -hmm. What is the benefit to a company in looking at working with someone where it's a part time? I mean, that's really what we're talking about with fractional. It's It's carving out of that whole circle. You're getting a percentage of that individual's time to focus on your company. Um, How do you, you know, combat that or defend that or support that in showing, you know, the true benefits that that enterprise can achieve? Yep. And, and I, I would imagine that every organization, even those that hire me, ideally would be able to have someone giving all their time, energy, and attention. But right now in the marketplace, there's two factors that make that a bit more challenging than it has been. And, and one is that simply, you know, hiring full-time people, it's a very competitive market. Um, you know, what the stats are day-to-day may change, but I think it's something like 40% of employees have turned over across the US. And so to be able to find the talent and retain that is challenging in today's marketplace. And, you know, I, I know the startup space more specifically. And um, in fact, there's a Wall Street Journal that came out about a month ago, and it talked about how, you know, in the same time period from 2020 to 2021, um, basically there was $56 billion of investment from VCs in that same time period last year, 112 billion or around there, 112, 113 billion this year. And so all of those startups that got that funding, who are they gonna hire? Um, and often they can't compete with salaries, right? Which, um, they, cause they don't, they may have gotten funding but they don't necessarily have a ton of money or they wanna use that money for other projects. So it's a really great solution, especially for startups or for companies that want that strategy and the direction but might not be able to afford a full-time employee or find a full-time employee. And especially with startups where usually you have the founder and the core team who are experts at how to make the widget work, right? Especially in the tech world, but they're not necessarily so adept at how to actually sell the widget, how to actually get people to understand the need for it, which is where someone like you comes in to actually paint that picture and help them connect the dots um, to bring it to life. Yeah, and you know, the way I look at it too is even if that CEO or, or, or someone on the management team, the executive management team has had marketing experience, you know, being a CEO of my company too, I know you don't necessarily have the time to do everything. And so we always say, you know, let the experts do what the experts know best. And so with marketing, like I said, if the CEO knows marketing, he may or she may not have the same level of experience that we do, nor do they have the time capacity to do it. So why not give it to someone who can, you know, take that story, take that product and really launch it and get it into the marketplace in a more efficient and cost-effective way. 
What are some of the misconceptions people might have along the way when they're hiring someone who is fractional or, you know, as we said in the intro, freelance? Um, What are some of the things that people just kind of off the bat, maybe don't set themselves up for the right success? Um, I think some of it is just that it's, that there isn't necessarily a learning curve or an onboarding process. Um, You know, a couple companies ago, I worked at a marketing consulting firm. And so I, in that experience, had to very quickly learn lots of different businesses. And so I feel comfortable getting up that learning curve. But I think that's something that's often downplayed that, yes, even though I'm fractional and I do this, there still can be a bit of a learning curve to understand the nuances of the business or the product or the marketplace. Um, You know, myself and I'm sure a lot of fractional CMOs, they do specialize in certain industries so that um, that learning curve can be minimized. But still, you know, every every company is is a little bit different. Um, the other thing, you know, I would say is that we're just doing it and we you know for the money and we don't necessarily care about it. And in fact, a good friend of mine, Anita Telsiani, um, she, when we were having a conversation, we talked about as both of us are product marketers by trade. Uh, and we talked about how you got to fall in love with the thing that you're marketing. And I think that that's something that people don't think about is that I do end up falling in love with these products and I do get really attached to the teams. And um, I recently had a conversation with head of HR at one of my clients because I'm rolling off of it and we brought in a new CMO. And, you know, it's it's sometimes harder than you expect. I've been working with this company for a year and a half. I've I've done a lot to grow the business, but, you know, it's time for me to move on. And, and you know, I brought in a full-time CMO because that's where the company's at. And so I know they're in good hands. But, you know, I think that'd be the other thing is just like how you can get attached to these companies too. And is there a way to set yourself up for success that's right. I know you just said that, you know, there's not always an onboarding process. There's not Mm -hmm. always like, here is our manual on what makes us tick. Um, How do you approach that? How do you work with that C-level suite to, you know, boil down and get the materials that you really need to be able to start working with them? Mm -hmm. Well, there, there's a couple of things that, that I do. And one is I always start by creating a marketing plan and that allows me, and I have a process that I use for it. It's the same process. And so it gives me the chance to, to really dive deep into the company, do an audit, do voice of client interviews, get to know the executive team as well. And then beyond that, once that marketing plan is approved and I'm starting to execute it, then there's a couple other things I do. One, which is you got to build trust. So if you say you're going to do something, you got to do it because, you know, no one is, is better to blame than the part-time worker, right? Yeah. So you've got to really be like doubly on top of it, I think, or at least that's the way, you know, I, I look at it because I, I want them to know, hey, I am part of the team. You can trust me. I'm going to get things done. And I'm going to help your business. And the second piece is to join in on the executive leadership meetings. And so I've had clients where I haven't been a part of the executive leadership calls, and I've had clients where I've, I have been. And it's a complete different game when I know and I can hear, okay, these are the other challenges. These are the other things going on with the business. The more you treat your fractional CXO as part of the executive team, the better results you're going to get. And so really you are able to pull back the blanket and understand what is broken in this cog of a machine that you're working for that you actually might be able to help lend a hand to because so much touches marketing. 
Yeah. And, you know, the other thing is, in fact, I was just having this conversation before we hopped on this podcast that because I work with lots of different clients, you know, they're not necessarily competitors, but I can, I can take what I learned from one and apply it to the other. And so in these calls with, um, with the executive leaders, sometimes they bring up things and it's not exactly the same thing, but I'm like, oh, this other company tried this approach or we tried that. And so there, I can be a resource more than even probably I expected to be just by nature of, of what I do and like cross-pollinating across industries and companies. Well, because everything that you're working on is live now. It's not, oh, I happened to work at this company five years ago and this is what we did then and how we approached it. It's more so, yeah, the marketplace today, this is how we're like moving it yeah, and participate. And there's so many tools out there, especially in marketing. Like, you know, I don't, I mean, I wouldn't even say a day goes by. I mean, like, I feel like an hour goes by that I'm not getting some, you know, software or some sort of promotion marketed towards me because I've got CEO and I've got CMO on my LinkedIn and, you know, they can find me on the website and so on. And it's like, how do you start to decipher what's good and what's not? And so one through my collective, because I work with all these fabulous people, you know, different folks have different preferences. So I learn a ton about different tools from their preferences and then getting to see them implement it at a client and then see the results. I'm then beginning to say, oh, wow, that works really well or that doesn't, or that was a re- expense we didn't need. And so it's, it's just interesting to see the different tools out there and how we can be more efficient with those too. And when it comes down to like freelancers, right? It's like, I know as a business owner as well, it's like, you're always like, get this twitch in your eye. You're like, oh, and you touched (laughs) on this. You're like, freelancers, not really part of my team. Freelancers just coming in, they're dabbing out and they're not committed to me. And you addressed this earlier and said that you have passion, obviously, and you really like buy in. But besides the executive leadership teams, like what do you do and what could others do and what should business owners expect of how you're trying to embed into the culture of the company and learning that too? Yeah, Um, I love that question. And it's something that I thought a lot about because one, you know, it's important for me because I want to enjoy what I do as much as it's important for my client to make sure that I'm the right fit. So I actually have a a process that I use before I bring on any client. And it's a three-step process where we have these different meetings. We go through these different stages because I do really want to get to know them. I want to get to know the business as much as I can. You know, you'll never learn the same as as, um, the same amount as once you get into the client and, and start building on that relationship. But I try and learn as much as I can because I want it to be a, a great fit. So if I was an owner of a, a startup and looking to bring in a fractional CXO, I'd want to see like, how much time do they spend with me? You know, cause like I invest a lot of time up front, and obviously not every, um, not every client I say yes to, and, and they may not say yes to me as well, but I look at that as a positive because it needs to be a good fit for both of us in order to make it work, just like it would be if you were hiring a full-time CMO. And so what are other mistakes that typically you're seeing happen, not that mm-hmm. you, but that, you know, business owners are like, okay, here's my fractional CXO. Like, what are they doing that's wrong that they could be approaching this a little better? Yeah, I, well, I, I'm lucky because I've had amazing clients and I've had some clients that haven't worked out as well. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to draw on the experience the from, here. from the, the ones that didn't work out so well, um, which to that point, like there's so many lessons to be learned, right? Um, one, which is the 
And I, there, there's a reason I take on post series A clients because there's a level of understanding of their business and their target market and where there's product market fit. And so something that, that can happen is that uh, a leader can bring in a CMO and expect them to be able to define what exactly the, the product is, what is the brand, all of these different things. And yes, that is a marketer's job to some extent, but if, if that leader doesn't know what they are either, what that company is or who they want to grow up to be or whatever the case may be, then it makes it very hard to, for a marketer to, to help them tell that story in a, in a compelling way. And I'll give you a, a small example. In marketing, there's these product one pagers. You probably have downloaded them from a website or I don't know, seen them somewhere. And I was working on one of these for a client at the time. And, and we did, I think I had 17 or 16 different revisions for this one pager and they were getting frustrated. And so were we, and I always joke, I'm like, if we can do 16 versions of the same story, like, I don't know, that feels pretty solid. Like we're, we're, we're getting creative here. There's, you know, how many words in the thesaurus that you can use for like build, um, joking aside. And you know, I was like, well, like, what is it that you want to say? And, you know, the response was, well, that's your job in marketing. And I think that that's a misunderstanding of marketing. Like if you don't know the problem you solve, if you don't know what makes your product different, I can find ways to tell that in a compelling, exciting and interesting, convincing way. But if, if none of that exists, then it makes it really challenging. So expecting that you can just throw shit at a marketer and they can make it shine like gold, some of us can, and, and sometimes there are those instances, but usually you need something solid there, um, or at least the person that um, the client needs to understand what's solid there. So I can go out there and really make it compelling. And it's your job as that fractional CMO to put the team in place underneath you to actually do the true activations and the processing of everything. Or are you entering in where, again, people are like eyeballing you going, haha, social media creation, you got me now. Like how, you know, you, I think, you're going after series. Like you're going after investments are there. You're going after someone has created supposedly a solid enough business plan that they've managed to sell it into other people and get immense amounts of dollars yep. to this. Uh, but how, where is this that the lines are crossed or where is it that you actually can come in and help them form that uh, marketing department? Mm -hmm. um, the answer is yes to all of that. <laughs> um, so typically when, when I come in, there's either no marketing team or there's maybe one junior level marketer. And um, although I've had a client, in fact, I'm, I'm working on a client right now that has four people on their marketing team. So that's a bit unusual, but also super fun because they're a really great team. Um, but but typically what, what I would do, and, and this is why I even have the collective is that the, a startup who's got post series A funding, there's probably a ton of investment that needs to go into building out more of their product roadmap or adding features that their existing clients want. And so they're not necessarily earmarking all those dollars for the marketing budget. And a you know funny anecdote is that I think I, I'm always asked, you know, oh, well, what's your marketing budget? Just to get a sense of where they're at. It's not like that determines if I say yes or no to a client. You actually don't have I, marketing budgets. You're going to tell me that people are like, well, I, I have $100,000 earmarked for my marketing budget. I'm going to be shocked exactly, if you say do yes. not. No, no. It's, everyone's <laughs> like, well, I haven't really thought See? about it. Can Just you tell, tell me us? what I need to spend? And then we'll figure out the budget. Yeah. It's like, yeah. 
It's so, like a kid um, going to a parent asking for an allowance. It's just so silliness. Yeah. So, well, you get it then. So you I, know, do. I don't know. It's just, I think every time, even though I expect the answer, it is still amusing to me that it's like, oh, I haven't really thought about it. like, what should it be? Um, and so, you know, part of what I do is I, I come in and I, I do give them a budget and say, okay, as part of my marketing plan, like this is what I would recommend, you know, including a tech stack, including um, headcount and things like that. But the reason that I, I bring in this collective or that's even part of what I do is that, you know, for, for a CMO to be creating a social media post, that's one fucking expensive post, excuse yes, my language, right? And so you're like, why wouldn't I bring in a social media expert who, you know, perhaps has less experience or is willing to do it for a different price point than I am. And these startups then can get me and that person for a lot less money. And so that's the whole premise of what I do. It's how can I help these businesses grow, but be really cost-effective and cost-efficient to do it. So they get strategy, they get that executive perspective, and they're not just throwing things against a wall and seeing what stick sticks. They're getting that strategy, but then they're getting um, folks that can execute it at a much better press point, price point than I would be able to. Yeah. And you're then not at one in the morning sitting there trying to create those social posts. And instead you're at one in the morning, maybe eyeballing someone else's social posts and making well, suggestions. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> now it's to say that there's definitely been times where enough's been going on and I've got to roll up my sleeves and do some of that execution. And I, I think that's something that at least for me is so fun because I, I feel like I'm not getting rusty at some of the things I used to do. So I think that's part of the energy around a startup environment is that even though I, yes, I have to do the strategy, you know, I can still get in there and create some messaging or some social posts too. Well, Amanda, for our listeners right now who are like, hmm, fractional CMOs, maybe I should talk with this woman, give it a little bit more. How can they learn more about you? Where should we send them to find out about you? Sure. Well, I can send them a couple places. So obviously I have a website, it's arch-collective.com and there's tons of information there. Um, also, I have a, a quarterly newsletter that I send out and that's full of lots of great information and tips and tricks and things that are going on um, that I've learned from the different tech startups I work with. And then um, I actually, on Instagram, every once in a while, like I try and do it once or twice a month, I bring on another marketing expert and we do a, a live, we go live on Instagram and dive deep into those, those topics, whether it's digital marketing or messaging or branding. And, and, you know, we always have a good time too, because that's part of my MO, you know, life's too short to not enjoy yourself. So any one of those, um, yeah, those would all be great places to learn more. And I also can find you in our show notes so that there'll be a home Perfect. in case there's anything that's spelling wise or that you all have questions about, you'll be able to go there. And then, Amanda, what are other mistakes that people make, either with fractional CMOs or just freelancers in general? Because if you're coming to the team as a fractional CMO, my assumption is, is sometimes you're bringing in other freelancers to work with you as well to really create that team. Yeah, um, the one that's probably not uncommonly spoken about is just, you know, the scope creep, if you will. And so it's something that I see as part of my responsibility for the freelancers that do work for Arch Collective and therefore for my clients is to make sure that 
whatever it is that I've, I've asked them to do that we, we are sticking to that particular scope of work um, because I respect that they're running businesses, right? They probably have other clients and if they're great, I wanna make sure they keep working, um, keep working with me and working with my clients. So that's something to, to keep an eye out for is just making sure that you're, you're not letting that scope creep get there. And then, you know, the, I guess the final piece is just to, to be open and, and embrace these freelancers and your fractional CMO, especially because, you know, to, to your point, it might be like, Ooh, I don't know. Do they really care? And either, you know, you know, I have great luck or I do a really great job vetting the folks that, that do work there, but, you know, they get just as excited when my freelancers get just as excited when they see a campaign's gone well or the client loves the website or whatever the case may be. They're just as thrilled as if they were a full-time employee or not. So, um, you know, I think that so many folks became freelancers because they wanted autonomy over their clients. They wanted autonomy over their schedule. It's not because they were looking for like the easy route. If anything, it's, it's the least easy route, right? To go out and do it on your own. So these are very motivated, capable individuals that are working on these, these different companies and the different projects. So, you know, em embrace them for what they are and you never know, maybe they can do more than you expected. And going back to that culture question again that I touched mm -hmm. on earlier, how do you make sure that these freelancers are embedded in the company culture, that they're seeing their full-time co-workers, that they're experiencing, you know, what the company is about? You know, and you know, I can speak from the experience of hiring freelancers, and it's really easy to give them a job and off they go. And then you can, as you said, scope creek, it's really easy to Give them yeah. way too much to do with your feedback because you're like, woohoo, go in there. But it's also very easy to lose sight of them and so that they don't feel like they're an integral part of your organization and your mm -hmm. team doesn't feel it and they don't feel it too. And how have you approached that to make sure that everyone's kind of more enfolded together? Mm -hmm. Um, well, there, there's a couple of things that I do. And, and one, I always do weekly check-ins with whatever freelancers I'm working with. So I schedule that time. It's what I did with my employees or my team members at, you know, when I was a full-time worker and I, I do the same. Um, in fact, a lot of what I do is similar to what I would have done at a full-time job. Um, you know, so one weekly check-in, so you don't lose sight of them. So they don't, you know, go off and then you're like, wait, where is it going? Why don't I know what's happening? And, um, you know, that's where this over communication is, is super helpful. And, and I've learned this and, you know, in fact, the, the client that I, I mentioned earlier, where, you know, things were going well on the one pager. Well, I learned a lot about how I could have communicated better and, and set us both up for success on some of these things. So, you know, I learn along the way and then whatever I, wherever things have gone wrong, I do my best to apply those learnings to, to future clients. Um, the, there's a third one that I wanted to mention too, because um, anyway, we'll have to come back to it because it's escaped me, but there's, um, you know, with freelancers, it's like, I think, oh, I know I was gonna say, is that when they do um, work on a project for my client, I always say like, I don't like to keep them hidden away in the closet, right? Like if they've done right. a good job and they've put, produced something, let them present it, you know, and, and let the client know, hey, look, I'm gonna bring in, Susie or Johnny or whomever. And I want them to share what they did because they did a really great job because I mean, even though they're, they're freelancers, like somehow in our minds, it's like they're 
not humans or something where it's like we just give them something no feedback no input no kudos and then expect the you know the world back and so i do try and give them feedback i do try and bring them in so that they get to take some of the glory of the great work that they did um what i will say is i i don't necessarily do that day one i i kind of I guess I would say like try to protect them a bit. So if there's feedback, it comes to me and then I can communicate it back at the beginning. And then mm -hmm. if it's a long-term client and that particular freelancer has been working on multiple projects, then I want them to build their own relationship. But I see as part of my role because of what I do is to make sure that if there's like the client's really upset, take it out on me and I'll I'll share that feedback with the freelancer. Don't take out, you know, whatever feedback and on them. Um, that's at least how I, I approach it. That's a good way to approach because it's very easy to lose sight. And then as soon as you lose sight, they're off and they're gone and no one's happy. No. Yeah. And, you know, and like, and usually, you know, with freelancers there, you look at it like, oh, I'm paying you this premium to do something. And it's like, well, yes, but you also don't have the resources. They don't know all the details of your business. So um, this might be another, you know, best practice is that take a little bit of time to give context because the, the project isn't usually the one piece of paper scope that it is. There's all this other information. Um, what is it like the glacier, right? Where like the project may look like just above the surface, but there's all this other stuff beneath. And if they're not there or they haven't been at that company for a while, they may not know all that. So I try and give a ton of context and as much background and probably more than they need, but I'd like them to have that information so that then it's like they've got some of the nuances to, to go off and hopefully do a great job. Well, and that's the same thing, full circle of why it's important for you to join the leadership uh, meetings versus being just off to your side because you're not going to be able to be as impactful to the conversation. Mm -hmm. 100%. Well, thank you so much, Amanda, for joining us today. Really appreciate your insights. I think that for our listeners who are like, what is this fractional stuff? They have a better idea and the power and the benefit of it. Um, and I know fractional CMOs exist for, you know, companies other than just series A. So if you're listening and you have another need, there's someone who's going to be out there who's going to be able to come on and join your team, um, which is a great option versus trying to find someone who is as dialed in as Amanda might be to solely work for you. Um, so thank you, Amanda, again. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. And then for all of our listeners, thank you for tuning in today for another episode of Marking Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I look forward to chatting with you next week. And until then, if you have any questions on product placement or celebrity endorsements or influencer marketing, all those types of marketing things that my agency at Hollywood Randa does, make sure you check out um, our website, but more so go to learn.hollywoodranda.com where we have some free courses that you can download and classes that you can take. And have a great one.